0: It's good to see all of you this morning. Good to hear you're active already. That was a great time of worship. Uh, great to hear us giving praise to the Lord. And uh, welcome to all of, those, all of those who are here and all those who are joining us online. Uh, wherever you are this morning, we're glad to have you with us. And it is my honor this morning to be able to proclaim to you the Word of God. Now, last week, uh, last week, Pastor Tim gave us an absolutely to kick off to this new series when he talked about preaching the Word. Uh, We're going through a new series right now on the essential elements of a healthy church. And uh, it was a great beginning. I don't know about you, but I was just super encouraged after that message and very excited about the fact that we are in a church that unashamedly and boldly proclaims God's Word no matter if it's hard to hear or not. And that's super important. And so we gather this morning, and it's my turn to share the second of our six considerations on what, again, we're calling the essential elements of a healthy church. So if you would take your Bibles this morning, pull them out, and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. As you're turning, I just want to set the context. So Jesus has been crucified, buried, he's risen again from the dead. And he has appeared to the disciples numerous times over about a 40-day period. And he has been talking to them all about the kingdom of God. And they ask him this question, "Is are you bringing the kingdom in now? And he says, that's not for you to know. And then he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes away. He ascends into the heavens... And they all just stand there kind of dumbfounded, not knowing what to do. And uh, the angels say, hey, the way he left, he's coming back, so time to get busy. So what happens is we pick up in verse 12 right after that event. It says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, Where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord, uh, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Would you bow with me as we open our time in the Word together in prayer. God, we just humble ourselves before you this morning and before the truth and the power, the life-giving power of your Word. We thank you for drawing us together by the Holy Spirit this morning to this place to sing praises to our King. And Lord, we just do. We, we are amazed at what Jesus has done. And we just echo the words of that song, all glory and honor belongs to the Son. We thank you for drawing our hearts in prayer. We thank you for drawing our hearts in the Word. And we thank you for your presence with and among us. And we thank you for what you have planned and for what you want to accomplish here today. So God, we want to submit ourselves to you. As Tim talked about last week, Lord, through the preaching of your word, we ask that you would adjust our thinking where it needs to be adjusted, that you would bring repentance and renewal and change and growth in each one of our lives. May this not just be an exercise we go through to satisfy ourselves that we've done a good deed, but God, may we encounter the living God And the time we have remaining through the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, asking for your help for both me and all of us here as we listen to you. May you be glorified and may there be truly an outpouring of fruit in and amongst and through your people as a result of the hearing and obeying of your word today. And so we offer ourselves up to you with thanks in the worthy and holy name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this morning I have the awesome privilege of sharing with you on the topic of prayer. So we're going a little bit out of order if you read Acts 2.42, but uh, I'm talking about prayer this morning. It's probably one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Um, It's certainly one of the things that I believe God is continuing to do a work in me about. I'll talk probably more about that as we go through the message this morning. But before we begin, I want to ask you a question. I want to get you thinking. I want your minds engaged with me as we engage God's Word. And my question for you this morning is, Why would Jesus walk away repeatedly from what would seem to us as prime opportunities for ministry in order to spend time in prayer so just think about that for a moment I'm going to ask you the question again why would Jesus repeatedly walk away from what to us certainly seemed like amazing wonderful God provided opportunities for ministry in order to spend time with the Father well I've wrestled with that question a bit over the years and I, we could certainly speculate, that might be some fun But the bottom line that I have come to is something interesting And so let's look at the Gospel of Luke for a moment We're going to spend a little bit of time in Luke this morning As we look at the life of Jesus and the model that it lays out for us But I want to just peek into the Gospel of Luke for a few minutes In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus encounters a leper He heals the leper and then we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 5 in verse 15. So we've just had this encounter. He's just had this amazing experience with Peter and catching fish and all this stuff. And now in verse 15 of Luke 5, it says, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But, but he withdrew to desolate places but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray and a number of our translations six of the newer translations that I looked at all add in a word when it says there in verse 16 it says but he would often he would often withdraw the idea is to kind of slip away you know while everybody else is busy and doing stuff and expectant and everything just to kind of slip away unnoticed And he would go off into desolate, quiet, alone places to pray. So I just asked myself the question, Jesus, why, you got all these people gathering to you, huge crowds, it just said, who were coming to hear from you and to be healed by you, and yet you often slipped away to go and pray. Well, there's another good example in Mark chapter 1 we don't need to turn there but in Mark chapter 1 Jesus has just launched into his ministry and he's had a full full day Jesus has been healing people for hours and hours and hours he's been casting out demons he's been healing all kinds of infirmities and the end of the day comes and Jesus goes to sleep I can imagine how exhausted he must have been after a day and night of ministry like that. And then the next verse has always been super convicting to me because it says in Mark 1, 35, and very early the next morning Jesus got up and he went into a desolate place to pray. And here's what's interesting about that and how it applies to this. Because very soon Simon and one of the other disciples came looking for him. And they were like, hey, Jesus, like, we got a huge crowd of people here lined up, ready. We've got them all ready for you. We've prepped them. They're ready for you to speak, to heal, whatever you want to do. And Jesus says, um, actually, no. We're going on to the next town because that's why I came. And so as I thought about that, this whole thing of Jesus getting up early, after Luke 5, he would often slip away to a desolate place. You see, I used to think about Mark one thirty-five and say, you know what, it was convicting to me because Jesus is this early riser. And I like to sleep. Uh, I love to sleep in. I especially love to sleep in after a good, hard day's work maybe working on into the evening you know ministering pouring out my heart to to help people and serve people and then it just you know maybe sleep in a little bit early sleep in a little late oh no not jesus though he's like super spiritual right he gets up early he gets going and i used to be fixated on the fact that it was because it was early and jesus was an early guy and he was all about getting up and getting going But as I was meditating on this preparation, on this sermon, I thought, you know what? Jesus often slipped away from big crowds. So I bet you one of the reasons Jesus got up early, maybe he was an early riser, was because he knew the crowds were going to be back. Jesus had just healed probably dozens, if not hundreds of people, and the word was spreading near and far and Jesus knew if he was going to have time alone with his father he needed to get up early and slip away why would he do that why would Jesus purposely avoid these ministry opportunities well again we could speculate and we could look at all kinds of different things but I'm pretty persuaded that the bottom line is this this is what I've become convinced of I am convinced That Jesus being fully man and fully God Jesus being fully man and fully God Saw prayer as an active and critical aspect of ministry Not a secondary activity And certainly not as a last resort You know how we often, we will start things in prayer Like we began the service in prayer um, maybe we start a Bible study in prayer. Maybe we even close in prayer. And you notice we often mark the beginning and end of ministry with prayer. What I see in Jesus, though, is prayer is ministry. Jesus didn't look at, oh, I, I'm going to avoid all this ministry opportunity and just go pray. No, Jesus said, this is the ministry the Father is calling me into at this time. Jesus saw it as a critical, integral part of His ministry and as ministry. And because of that, He made time for it. He intentionally carved out time to focus on it. It was a priority for Him And I believe that we're going to see as we go through this morning's message that the life that Jesus lived and the example that He modeled for the disciples had an enormous impact on the kind of church that was born through the power of the Spirit. Jesus was a prayer warrior. And because of this conviction, I believe that in a very real way, as my title indicates this morning, prayer is the primary work of Of the kingdom. I think we think it as this thing we do to prepare for ministry or to get God to begin moving in ministry, but I believe prayer is ministry. It's an essential kingdom building activity that deserves a place as a top priority in our lives, not just as individuals, but as a church family, as the body of Christ whether we're in large groups or in small groups. And actually, I even believe it starts at home. I'll say more about that in a little bit. Here's a quote. I want to share a quote in light of all this from a guy named Mark Laberton. He spoke at the Global Leadership Summit in 2006, and he said this. He said, time is not primarily for the sake of doing more. Now, I want to stop right there, because I don't know if there are any other doers out there like me, but that's hard to hear. Like, time for me is, like, pack it in. Let's get as much done as we possibly can. My list is long, and it never runs out. I remember years ago I had started my own business I was in my office I wasn't doing anything that important but I was busy my about 5 or 6 year old son came walking into the office and he said hey dad are you busy and I said yeah bud what's up I thought it was a great response but he went he just ran right out of there and I was like where'd he go I thought he wanted I thought he wanted something and a few moments later my lovely wife came walking in and she said hey what are you doing right now And I said, I'm just working on some stuff. And she said, well, you know, John just came in here and asked if you were busy. And I said, I I know. I said, yeah, what's up? And she said, yeah, but all he heard was the, yeah, I'm busy. And I said, well, I am busy. I've got a lot going on. And my wife said to me, probably one of the most important things I've ever heard in my life. And she said, Joe Denner, you will never not be busy. So hearing that first sentence is really hard for me because there's a thing in me that says no, no, no time is for the sake of doing more but this guy said and I like it actually time is not primarily for the sake of doing more time is God's gift for being and for doing what matters and God has created a world in time and that today as every day there will be enough of it for what matters not enough for all I could imagine doing or for all that will be asked of me. And when I read that quote, I thought of Jesus. Because if there was ever a person on planet Earth who was busy, it had to have been Jesus. Like we think, oh, that's old times, like life is slow and there wasn't much going on. No, 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 Jesus was busy. Jesus was busy in demand crowds were following him crowds were vying for his his time they wanted time with Jesus, they wanted him to heal them, they wanted Jesus to heal their wife, they wanted Jesus to heal their kid, they wanted Jesus to cast a demon out of somebody, they wanted more of Jesus but Jesus knew that time was not just for doing things which seem like things are getting done Jesus knew that time was also for prayer and I'm mindful of I think it was Martin Luther I may, may not have this exactly correct but I think it was Martin Luther who many 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 years ago was quoted as saying you know what I'm, I've got a hugely terribly busy day ahead of me this morning so therefore I need to spend at least four hours in prayer Martin Luther saw prayer as ministry because Jesus saw prayer as ministry. It wasn't something he went away to. It was something he stepped into being in and with the Father. He spent time with the Father in communion with the Father. Remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything of my own initiative. John chapter five, verse 19. I don't do anything of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. And then he went on to say, I think in John chapter 7, he said, and I don't say anything on my own initiative. I only say what I hear the Father saying. So Jesus was in ongoing prayer and communion with the Father, and there were times when he just needed to get away and be quiet and be silent. But the apostles saw this. And so we need to understand that there will be enough time for what matters and prayer matters Jesus' life proved it so let's take a look my first point this morning is Jesus had modeled it so prayer becomes essential when we see first of all that Jesus had modeled it so in the gospel of Luke we're just going to kind of rip through the gospel of Luke here for a few minutes but in the gospel of Luke We have the gospel that brings to us the unique perspective of Jesus' humanity. So all four of the gospels give us a different angle on the person of Jesus. Matthew's all about Jesus as the king. Mark is all about Jesus as the servant. John is all about, as we just went through together for the last year, Jesus as the son of God. But in Luke, we see Jesus as a man. Jesus as the son of man. And so it's not a surprise to me that in Luke, as in no other gospel, do we see as many references to Jesus spending time in prayer as we do. We've already looked at Luke chapter 5, where we saw that Jesus often slipped away to be alone and pray. But then in Luke chapter 6, in Luke chapter 6 and in verse 12, and by the way, you don't need to turn to all these because we're going to go fairly quickly. But in Luke chapter 6 and in verse 12, Jesus spends all night praying anybody here spent all night ever, you don't have to raise your hand because most of us won't be able to raise our hand that we spent all night Jesus spent all night we, my family used to go to a thing called all night of prayer but it only lasted 7 hours okay, Jesus was up all night in prayer he was wrestling with the Father listening to the Father, talking to the Father hearing from the Father and what he did that next morning was he appointed the 12 apostles So Jesus knew he needed time with the Father to select the 12 apostles and for maybe whatever else was coming that day. Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus again slips away to pray. And I believe it's in Matthew's Gospel where we see more specifically that Jesus actually left the crowd and he went up into a mountain to pray. And it says in Luke 9 that the disciples joined him and so they saw him Praying. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 28, we find Jesus being transfigured on the top of the mount. But it says to us in Luke nine twenty-eight that as Jesus was praying, he was transfigured. And Peter, James, and John were there to witness this. They saw this happening. And I think all of this led to finally in Luke chapter 11... Um, Many of you, if you get the text messages that come from the office during the week, you saw what happened in Luke chapter 11 when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples? And as I thought about that, I certainly think that the disciples were prompted because they saw Jesus, or they saw John's disciples getting taught. But I think they came to Jesus because they had seen him praying. They had experienced being with him, praying. And then they saw John's disciples getting taught, and they said, Jesus, teach us. Remember, that's what a student of a rabbi was for. It's to learn what you do. It's to be who you are, to do what you do, say what you say, think like you think. Jesus, please teach us to pray. And then lastly, in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus and his disciples in the garden. Jesus takes them with him. He leaves most of them behind. He takes Peter, James, and John and goes off a little ways. And then he goes off just a little bit further. And he falls down on the ground and begins to pray. And I just think it's interesting that this is the last, one of the last acts that all of the disciples together witnessed with Jesus before his arrest, scourging, crucifixion, and burial. So I gotta believe emblazoned in their minds is here in his final hour, Jesus was not pacing, Jesus was not talking to them about a strategic plan for what's coming. No, Jesus was praying. He was surrendering himself to the Father, saying, Lord, if you could, Father, if you could take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. That's what the disciples were left with. And I believe it's because Jesus saw prayer as an active and critical part of his ministry, and the disciples witnessed this. So therefore, point number two this morning is that after Jesus had modeled it, the church then followed it. It wasn't just Jesus. The church followed it. We get back to our text, which is Acts chapter 1, and we find that just after the ascension so the holy spirit still hasn't come yet and it's after the ascension and what's the first thing they do after jesus leaves they go pray why because i believe that they had they were already had been prepared to be a praying church because they had seen their savior pray and pray and pray and pray and so it says hey they gathered together all in one accord and they devoted themselves to prayer and that's a key phrase and we're We saw that last week as Tim introduced Acts chapter 2, verse 42, but it leads off in the book of Acts here in chapter 1, before the Holy Spirit comes. It says that these men and women devoted themselves to prayer. What does that mean? In other translations, it says they continued steadfastly in prayer. Well, that Greek word means a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action it could also mean referring to those who continually insist upon something so what we find in the disciples is a group of men and women who insisted on praying together we find that in acts chapter 1 verse 12 we see that then again in acts chapter 2 verse 42 where it says and they were devoted they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers same word same exact thing they insisted that was part of the early church DNA is they would not not pray together but then we find it again in Acts chapter 6 in Acts chapter 6 we find the first church conflict now it didn't take long right I don't think Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6 are that far apart and because we have people, we have problems and so we have our very first church conflict and what do the apostles do? They gather everybody together. There were certain women who were widows who were not being properly cared for. I want to be very clear about what takes place here in Acts chapter 6 verses 4 to 6. There's not a diminishing of the needs of the widows. There's an actual diminishing elevation of the needs of these women as the apostles come together but they bring everybody together and they say hey we need you to pick out seven men and they give the character qualities the qualifications for the men who are going to take care of these widows and it's a high bar need to be men of faith men of the holy spirit i mean this we're not just grabbing whoever's available and has time we're grabbing godly men here to do this work these are really the first deacons in the new testament in the church and what we find then is the apostles say this to the group. and say, you go choose these guys, verse 4, but we will devote ourselves. Same exact phrase. We will insist upon, we will, be, we will stay true in a single-minded way to a course of action. And what is that course of action? We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased everybody, so they went off and they gathered these seven men together and they brought them before the apostles. And what do we see in verse 6? It says, These they set before the apostles and after praying laid their hands on them. So even the people were praying. Even the people were bringing these seven men, setting them before the apostles and then they all together as a church family prayed over these men. And once they received a sense of confirmation, they laid hands on them, they commissioned them, and they sent them into the work. We find that again in Acts chapter 13 with the sending out of Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And we find it again in Acts chapter 14 where Paul and Barnabas circled back to all the churches that they had planted. And what did they do? They gathered the church together. The church prayed and fasted. And then they set up elders And they laid their hands on them and commissioned them to the work. So we see this pattern of insistence upon and devotion to this ministry of prayer. There's a clear pattern going on here, and I believe that that pattern comes from the fact that this is what they saw day in and day out with Jesus, was a man who was insistent upon and devoted to prayer prayer wasn't again something simply they did to prepare for or to start or to open up a ministry time but it was actually ministry we see other examples Acts chapter 4 if we look at Acts chapter 4 with me for a moment in Acts chapter 4 Peter and John have been arrested and they've been threatened not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus or about the resurrection of Jesus so what do they do? they don't cower, they don't They don't go start strategizing. They go back to their friends and they pray. And it says in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, when they were released and they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices to God and said, and they prayed. And they prayed this beautiful, wonderful prayer about the sovereignty of God and about the goodness of God. And then they asked for God to come in and to embolden them to continue to preach and to speak His Word. And it says there in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness it all started with prayer and I believe probably continued in prayer because then again in in Acts chapter 12 in Acts chapter 12 we find trouble has come because Herod has murdered or martyred James and in murdering or martyring James the Jews got super excited and so Herod liked that so he arrested Peter and put him in jail with the purpose and plan of doing the same thing but what does it say in Acts chapter 12 verse 5 so Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church and not only that but when Peter got out of prison what was the first thing that happened once he finally woke up and he realized that he wasn't dreaming but this was real he went and he found the praying church he went to Mary's house the mother of John also known as Mark and and he knocked on the door and he, he knew they would be in there praying why because they were a praying church because they had a praying Savior. And it continues on through the book of Acts. So lastly this morning, and this is really where the rubber meets the road, so Jesus had modeled it, and then the church then followed it. It's, it's now our turn to continue it. And by the way, I'm not just talking about individual prayers. As a matter of fact, I'm not talking about individual prayer. I'm talking about praying together as a church, family, large groups, small groups, whatever it may be, God is calling us to be a praying church, first and foremost, through our leaders. Our leaders must make prayer a priority work, like we saw in Acts chapter 6. Then it starts in the home as couples, husbands and wives. We are a subset of the church, the two of us together, where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. We are the church Husbands and wives, we are a powerful, mighty instrument of warfare in the hands of God to accomplish His work. Prayer is part of our ministry as couples. But then also, gather the family, gather whoever lives with you, whether they're your kids or somebody staying with you or somebody living with you for a time, whatever it be, but gather together as a family. Why? Because what is the church? The church is a family of families. The church is a household of households. So what we do together as the church, we should be doing in our homes. But also on Sunday mornings, we gather together here, we pray. I want to encourage you to pray together after the service. I I challenged the 930 service, and I was super encouraged by what happened. I said to them, and I'm going to say it to you, What often happens is as soon as Josh dismisses us after singing the last song, this room empties like, I can't even believe how fast this many people get out of the room. And my encouragement to us is, what are we in a hurry for? Hopefully what we've experienced is an encounter with the living God in worship, in prayer, and in the Word. And we were a part of a house church for 13 years where after every service, you would find pockets of people praying together about what God had said to them, what God was doing in their lives. There was repentance, there was encouragement, there was hope given, and there was prayer being lifted to God. And after the 9.30 service, I, I actually caught a few groups, one off in a back corner, one out in the, in the foyer praying together. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful expression of what God is looking for us to be engaged in as a church family and by the way that's not meant to guilt you into praying together after this service but why would it not be a part of our life together as a body we are the church and we're to be a praying church and in our small groups by the way I already talked to my small group leader who is here um, this morning and I got permission to share what I'm about to say Um, and that is I talked to him I said you know what first of all let me say this um, one of the things we love the most about our small group is it is the sweet spirit of prayer that exists in our small group. It is awesome. But one of the things that I've noticed was something that I thought about years and years and years ago when small group ministry first began and corporate prayer meetings in the church began to dwindle. And my fear back then was that the small group prayer times would become very focused and very inward. And I think that's what a lot of small groups experience is we we pray for each other. By the way, awesome, like wonderful that we are praying for each other. But we should be praying about what's going on in our church. We should be praying for our leaders. We should be praying about our mission trips that are going on. We should be praying about the other campuses that we're involved in. We should be praying for the church. We should be praying for what's going on in our nation. We live in a nation that is going through the most incredible moral and social decay and self destruction it's amazing our world our nation needs prayer we need to be praying not just for each other but we need to be praying for the church our state which in our state in the years to come there will probably be multiplied the number of abortions performed in Illinois that were before the reversal of Roe versus Wade isn't that something we should be praying about as of as small groups we should be praying for all of what God is doing. And again, that doesn't mean that the, that the small group meeting now needs to become a you know, four and a half hour meeting. But the point is, let's not, let's not leave prayer to the end and it's, it's got five minutes left. So we share some prayer requests and then one person prays and we scatter. No, let's take time to pray. Isn't it beautiful to hear your brothers and sisters pray? I love, I won't mention names because... I don't want to embarrass them, but I love to hear my small group members pray. I love to hear my wife pray. I love to hear my kids pray. It's a beautiful thing. Whenever we're together, we can be praying. Whenever we make decisions together, like Acts 6, Acts 13, Acts 14, we should be praying together. Whenever we encounter obstacles or opposition, like they did in Acts chapter 4, and to advance the cause of God's ministry, God's kingdom building ministry all over the world, like Paul called us to in Second Corinthians chapter one, verse eleven. Just to wrap it up this morning, First Timothy chapter one, verse eight, Paul writes, to the church, and the whole context of the letter of First Timothy is the gathering together of the church. And first Timothy one eight, Paul says, I will that everywhere. Men gather together and pray, lifting up holy hands without dissension and arguing and factions. I want them to pray. And in Colossians 1, 3, Paul writes to the church of Colossians and says, hey, we're we when we pray for you. So as Paul's in prison writing to the Colossians, he's with others in the prison and they are praying. Church, I hope this morning is a little uncomfortable but I hope it also breathes hope and life into us because prayer is a sweet, wonderful time of communion with God. And he wants us not just to enjoy it in our prayer closets, he wants us to enjoy it together as a family. Jesus saw prayer as an active and critical part of his ministry and so should we. We can't just simply find time for it. We actually have to actively, intentionally go out and carve out time to slip away from the to-do list and even the other crying needs around us and just be with our Father together.